electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, the Omicron variant in the U.S. What's scarier to investors, a mutating virus or changing monetary policy? I feel so much better than I did in the last 20 months. Feel better about everything but the Fed. (laughs) Yeah. The White House has new travel and COVID testing guidance, but with some rapid tests costing consumers, the details matter. Unfortunately, Abbott and others are gouging Americans. I will say it and I will say it loudly. And the largest Wall Street debut by a Southeast Asian company grabs CEO Anthony Tan on the big day. We don't view growth and profitability as mutually exclusive. We operate in a market with a large market opportunity. Plus, women's tennis boycotting China. This is bigger than sports. This is bigger than business. This is the relationship between the two countries. All that and the rest of today's stories that got us squawking. It's Thursday, December 2nd, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And we're going to start with the markets this morning after yesterday's big sell-off. It was something to watch because the Dow had been up by about 500 points, but towards the end of the session, it dropped rapidly. It dropped by 461 points to the close. The S&P was down by 1.2 percent, and the Nasdaq fell by 1.8 percent. But again, it was that huge momentum, a swing of almost 1,000 points through the course of the day that really kind of caught traders off guard and had people's heads spinning when they were watching this. If you're keeping track, the Dow is now down 5 percent since Thanksgiving, and the S&P and the Nasdaq are each down around 4 percent. Those are big drops pretty rapidly, but they were coming from all-time highs. Andrew? Thanks, Becky. And as uh, Becky just said, uh, all of this happening as a function of the United States now identifying for the first time a case of the Omicron variant. This is the first confirmed case of COVID-19 caused by the Omicron variant detected in the United States. And as all of you know, because we've been discussing this, this, we knew that it was just a matter of time before the first case of Omicron would be detected in the United States. The uh, patient who tested positive returned to San Francisco, the Bay Area, uh, from a trip to South Africa on November 22nd, developed mild symptoms three days later, and then tested positive on the 29th. Now, California's governor is saying the patient is between 18 and 49 years old and is vaccinated but had not received a booster shot because they were not six months out from their original vaccination course. Now, the person has not been hospitalized and no close contacts had tested positive as of yesterday, but uh, clearly this spooking the market in the beginning of what I imagine is we're going to hear more cases like this. I think if, if there's one they've found, there's there's probably at least 50 cases here at this point. Oh, yep. I, I would say that's low. And, and oh, two, three days ago, Fauci said it's already here. And I think yeah. uh, Dr. Yep. Scott Gottlieb said there's no doubt it's already here. Yesterday, when we were indicated up sharply, we kept mentioning, look, 
we're going to hear it's going to happen. And, and when I yep. said it, it's going to it's going to appear somewhere, I didn't say it's going to appear in the United States. I just didn't feel like saying it. I was going to say, but it's going to start rearing its ugly head all over the world. And I was sort of intimating it's going to be here. Yeah. And then it came here. And the market sold off basically a thousand points, so from plus five hundred yeah. to, to, to four hundred. Yeah. That seems big. Um, it's not like a, a crash or anything. It's a, on a percentage basis. It's not that big. I have a question now, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about yep. this on the way in. Let's say that we get, you know, as an optimist, let's say we get really positive news on, on Omicron that they're Omicron, however you want to say it. O ah. Uh, that it's very mild and it may be transmissible. Yeah. Let's say it is mild. Do we, does the market start ripping or has the Fed already cast the die that it's not rip time anymore? Is it based on That's Omicron a good question. It, well, that's a good question because yeah. I, I, I have thought all along that the market's kind of jerkier reaction to this was, okay, it's the unknown, but even if Omicron is something worse. I, I think we have the tools to deal with it. We're talking about a number of a matter of months before you can kind of get your arms around it again. Right. Um, and, and the Fed saying this is it. Uh, we're not going to be here to support you anymore. Maybe a bigger issue for the markets at this point. I mean, obviously, this is following Omicron. It's scary. It's the unknown. But but I think you're probably right to bring up the, the Fed being the bigger long term right. issue. Isn't it amazing that I mean, we're talking about the scariest thing in the world, pandemics and death and, all, and hospitalizations and ventilators. But what really dictates what the stock market does is what the Federal Reserve does. That's unbelievable well, how powerful they are. I feel a, so much better than I did in the last 20 months. I mean, the vaccines well, are out there. There are therapeutics we, right, that are here. Right. My kids have gotten vaccinated at this feel point. feel better about everything but the Fed. <laughs> yeah. Because right. they're going to taper. And, right. and they, they definitely you, are talking and you but don't we've think wanted it's a them to taper the whole time. But you don't think it's a coincidence that he's being reappointed, so now he's, he's talking tough? Um, I, that may have something to do with it. But, I, I, look, I, I think that he has been uh, aware of the situation with inflation. I, I feel like every time I've listened to him, instead of, you know, it, when you actually listen to what he's talking about, I've always felt like he's had a very good handle on it. Um, but it's not something he was going to be able to advertise or say too Leishman much about doesn't. until he. And, uh, well, Alarian, I, I do think he's doing what he thinks uh, is the right thing. Alarian doesn't think so, right? When he comes on, says that, that uh, we definitely lost control, but I don't know. I, I feel like you can only do things that, it, that you have the mandate to do because you have the job. He definitely had a lot of external pressures uh, over the last two years that resulted in how easy the Fed has been. There's no doubt. And it's not, I'm not just talking about we the went pandemic. Through a, I'm talking about global rates everywhere else yeah. where, you know, you can't have rates here, you know, that are three base, three, uh, 300 basis points above the rest of the world. It's not, I don't it's not think work. he, I don't think he did any of that, that not believing it. I think he believed in all of that. It may have taken him a little longer to say, we're going to tighten more quickly because because of the pressures externally. I, I mean, I, and I don't blame We don't for know it. yet uh, it, whether w- what's out of the bag is really out of the bag. They may have retired transitory, but people in the back of their minds still don't think we're going back to the 70s. We still don't think we're going back to hyperinflation. Do we? We don't really worry to that extent. Although I, I, I was somewhere yesterday at the, at the, the guy that helps me get some meat at, at, at uh, the supermarket, great guy. 
And he's like, what about, why are prices going up? And I, and I realized, God, it's hard to explain this. Uh, you know, I started with supply. It goes, they go up every day. And he's watching, you know, I, I mentioned right. it, looking at some 90% ground beef, 90% lean is like up like $1.50 from mm-hmm. where it was. And, and the, the good stakes are way up. And he goes, it goes up every day. What's happening? I go, well, we're printing a lot of money. And the more, and I, start, I brought up turkey. And I said, this is what, He's like, Never not, mind. not Thanksgiving turkey, but yeah. I brought up, I go, if you print too Lira. much, each one is worth less when you, and he's like, mm, okay. And, but I, I realized that it is a, it is a much bigger part of, uh, of, of an income, income scale. I don't think we notice it as much. I really don't. Uh, because that, what is it? If it's, you know, $7 versus $8 for a pound of ground beef. I don't know, but there are people that do. It's a terrible tax. It's a terrible tax for, for people that, and it's something I think we need to, to, to definitely take more seriously. We're, we're, we live in these gilded cages, I think. Well, the question is how much of it is because of COVID and how much of it is, and COVID that printing. will eventually be right. resolved, how much of it is because of printing, how much of it is that's because of the supply chain question, it's and, the wages. Right, the yeah. wages. Once wages go yeah. up, that's, those are the things that become but those, stickier. those are permanent. Right, so questions with all of it. New this morning, the White House unveiling its COVID winter plans. Kayla Tausche joins us right now with the details. And Kayla, good morning. Good morning, Becky. The White House is unveiling a nine-point plan to try to keep COVID in check as these virus variants emerge here in the U.S. and the winter virus season gets underway. They're focusing on uh, tightening travel requirements, expanding booster and testing programs, and also crafting a game plan to help keep schools open. First on travel, beginning early next week, international travelers to the U.S. will be required to test negative within one day of departure. That's a change from three days. A senior administration official said no protocol for testing or quarantine upon arrival in the U.S. will be mandated at this point. The mask mandate for travel and public transport will also be extended until March 18th. The White House is also requiring private insurers to reimburse customers for at-home rapid tests. It says it's using authority under the CARES Act to do so. Treasury will write new guidance for this by January 15th, and the policy will not be retroactive for Americans who are purchasing these tests now. To keep schools open, the administration is also focusing on getting more shots in arms of 5 to 11-year-olds, dispatching FEMA to host clinics beginning in two hotspots, and instructing pharmacies to schedule shots as family clusters. Uh, It's also unclear the extent to which any of these actions will move the needle as Delta hospitalizations remain high. And now Omicron cases are spotted in the U.S. and are seen as being inevitable over the coming few weeks. A senior administration official said that if any additional measures are recommended and and can be implemented well, then they will not hesitate to add them to this mix. Back to you. You know, Kayla, will any of these programs see legal challenges before they can even get off the ground, like we've seen with some of the vaccine mandates? Well, there are a few different types of policies that are in this mix, Becky, and I think it's it's definitely possible that some of them could meet legal challenges. We've seen this administration's approach be to urge, then to give a full-throated endorsement, and then to mandate. And some of these policies include some of that language. Like, for instance, there is a, a, a 
portion of this that we'll see the president urge private employers uh, to get their employees boosted. Uh, that, that could be seen uh, if that evolves into something that is uh, more set in stone or a harder legal requirement for these companies, that could meet legal challenges. Uh, you could also see some legal challenges on the CDC's uh, actions for keeping schools open. The CDC is going to be putting together a game plan that it hopes that school districts can follow uniformly across the country. But we've seen many school districts uh, bristle at some of these guidelines and take their own approach. And so depending on how heart attack the CDC takes there, we could also see that. And then finally, on this uh, idea that the private insurers will be paying for at-home rapid tests, uh, it's unclear whether the government will be offsetting some of those costs. Certainly under the CARES Act, we saw government funding appropriated or set aside to pay for some of these testing uh, programs. Uh, the White House says that we will see some unused government funding being reallocated to that. Uh, but depending on whether private insurers are on the hook for those costs themselves and exactly how expensive that could be with so many Americans buying these at-home mm. rapid tests in bulk, uh, we will see the direction that that heads in as well. Yeah, Kayla, I, I wanted to ask you about that last piece because historically, has the government been able to force private insurers to pick up the costs of certain, certain drugs or other things? I mean, part of this issue with the testing is Unfortunately, Abbott uh, and others are gouging Americans, I will say it and I will say it loudly, uh, at $24 or $25 or $27 for a pack of two when in so many other places it is remarkably cheaper in part because it's subsidized and in part because the cost of, of, of each pack is so low. The question is, you know, why would, why would a private insurer just say, OK, we're doing that? Well, Andrew, uh, perhaps this is a type of a carrot and, and stick mechanism, or, or rather mostly a stick, if the government feels that uh, by asking them to foot the bill, perhaps they would lower the cost themselves for American. That wasn't explicitly said, but it's certainly a possibility. I think there's also a question of how much money the government has left over to offset some of these costs and whether it's willing to do that. The White House so far hasn't answered questions on exactly how the payment structure uh, will work here, only that it believes that it has the authority under first the Families First Act, which was then some of the language was changed under the CARES Act. And the CARES Act, which was, of course, a multi-trillion dollar piece of legislation, that covered most of those right. costs for those insurers. So it's unclear exactly how that mechanism will work. The White House was also asked by reporters about, you know, there's a shortage of a lot of these tests. And if Americans are now understanding that they could be reimbursed for them and then they start buying more, will there be enough tests available? They said they're ramping up production. They will quadruple by the end of this month. So we'll see if either of those issues uh, get at some of the, those price questions. And similarly on the testing front, because and I'm, I'm curious about it because I do think that's, that's one of the only tools we really have to, to potentially solve this in a meaningful way. Do you know why they're not going to test th this international travel? They want to test people uh, on, before they get here. I understand why you'd want to do that. But in most countries, they're testing you once you get there as well. Is this, is this simply a cost well, issue? Well, I think it's really a question, Andrew. Yeah, and I've been actually talking to a few senior administration officials who have been involved in this deliberation over the last several days. And I think really the question gets to implementation. While it might be a good idea to test travelers upon arrival, really the risk is within three to five days after landing. And how do you actually get those people to come back to the airport or take their own tests and mail it in and then monitor those results? There was really a question about whether the administration and the CDC could effectively implement 
a program like that. I mean, certainly we saw over the weekend when there was this three two three day window between when the Biden administration had announced uh, the ban on travel from those southern African countries and then the ban going into effect. Those passengers at Atlanta and Newark were sent home uh, with PCR tests and they were it was suggested that they complete them within three to five days, but it's really hard to follow up with those people, make sure that they do that, make sure that uh, the results are actually logged somewhere. And I think there was just really a question of, yes, it might be good policy or helpful data collection, but how do you actually do it in practice? Right. This is where you get like the palantirs of the world and others involved and you can, interesting things could happen. Uh, Kayla, always good to see you. Thank you. Jack Dorsey stepping down as Twitter CEO this week, but he's making some changes, some big changes at his other company, Square, planning to rename itself Block. That's going to be effective December 10th to nod to, of course, the blockchain as the company prepares to expand beyond its original credit card reader business. And Block will still trade under the ticker SQ on the New York Stock Exchange. The name makes Dorsey the, yeah, blockhead. Oh, Got a laugh. A Got a little bit of a laugh. At least, at least I got a laugh from Becky. Joe's, like Joe's not laughing. That's a classic dad joke. You should like it. Well, Joe. it was in the teleprompter. Um, but yeah, yeah, good one. Good one. Good one, Andrew. No, I'll tell you. What, it's because I was thinking that you take Square, mm-hmm. and they're going to do so much more. Supposedly, kind of like Facebook. You know, going to be meta. Square. And it yeah, ties into the it's, it's so logical. It's beautiful to me. It's elegant. It's, it's just beautiful that everybody to everybody changing their names. My goodness. Well, that's the best one. That's this, I mean, this is I'll, I'll give them this. This is um, way better you know, than meta. So, yeah. And, and uh, what was the great one? Foot Locker? Well, we sew shoes. So we're going to call hard. ourselves Venator. Venator. But, it was Woolworth. It was Woolworth. Sort of a public that was Woolworth, not name. Foot Locker. It was Woolworth. What's that? Andrew? It was Woolworth. That switched but up Block is sort of the problem with Block is it's it's. It's like a public domain sort of name. There's nothing. But it also unique blockchain. About I didn't even think about that. Also, no, but, but that's why when they you, did it. Oh, of course. No, you totally. 3D, I like the name. I'm just. It's hard to. AI, um, 3D AI, virtual reality, a square, and it's a block. I thought it was really. Yeah, but it went, the next, the next time you Google block, what's going to yeah. come up? That that'll be right, the big test. But the other right. thing is, is all these companies have great, well-known brands, and they're all ditching them. Just yeah. like. That's true. Meta, I don't know. Meta, and I assume, uh, by the way, I, I'm an idiot because if you had if you had if you had Googled Square, I'm not sure that was actually any. But well, I, <laughs> one thing I do know, I don't know about uh, like sports guys that change their name, like Ocho Cinco or something. Yeah. But but the guy, the Celtics, that to change his name to Freedom, and he's from. You know, I just I, I love that. I, and I, Mr. Freedom, I commend you. Major League Baseball. Uh, Team owners voted to lock out players uh, after failing to reach a new collective bargaining agreement with the Players Association. The previous agreement expired at midnight uh, last night. Player transactions are halted. Clubs are now restricted from contacting uh, players in the offseason until the lockout is lifted. MLB winter meetings uh, scheduled to begin on Monday are going to be canceled. Players Association uh, wants young stars to get paid sooner Uh, It seeks more money uh, and not be restricted to teams for the first six years of their career. Commissioner Rob Manfred defended the lockout as necessary, saying the union's uh, vision for the league would threaten the ability of most teams to be competitive. Uh, It comes as average player salaries have declined for a third straight year down to $3.7 million this year. And and that's where you get down from $4.1 million in 2017. 
And that was the, yeah, the one it. I was leading yeah. to. That was the clincher, because uh, that's where the average person probably doesn't have a, it, it's got a lot more to do than just that average salary. It's got to do with what we were talking about, younger player and all the, the, the things yep. that we talked about, the collective bargaining. But when you get to that, you kind of say, don't complain too much. Things are, are looking pretty good. Did you see uh, Max Scherzer's coming to the Mets? See what he's making next year? Yeah, well, one. 43 one, million. Yeah, okay. For one year. For one three, year, but was it, what, I mean, over the life of the contract, wasn't it longer? Three years, it was Three years, 130. 130 million dollars. How about it? That, that makes me think, what's, okay, that's the average is 3.1 million. What's the median? Because you do worry about guys at the lower end of the yeah. scale. If you've got guys that are making 43 million dollars a year, that averages out with people who are making a whole lot less. Then I was thinking of, of sports broadcasters. Here's the, the thing that I get. Tony Romo. But we know, Becky, because yeah. we, we have dinner with him at, 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 at Pebble. I don't know if I'm allowed to say I, I think we are. It's an open it's, thing. Yeah. Anyway, so we know him. $18 million a year for 10 years. So That's we got good. Chris Collinsworth, who is the best, yeah. I think. Uh, so what, do we, what, what, what does he ask NBC for? And then there's uh, uh, Troy Aikman. So both of those guys are like, wait a second. I'm doing more games. Romo's doing it's a couple of games a week. for. Too. Yeah, and Al Michaels, yeah. but 18 million a year for talking on on TV. I feel, I feel really bad about myself. <laughs> suddenly, um, I talk a lot. I mean, if it's per word, I'm screwed. I think it's not per word. None of us are Tony Romo. I'm very happy. Or Chris Collingsworth. Very yeah. lucky. Very fortunate. I would, you know, that's that. that what started all this was the average salary falling to 3.7 million for the average baseball player. Yeah. God almighty. You should, uh, you should talk less. Then you'll be making more per word. Right. Right. <laughs> That's and, how and, and, and it. A lot of people would be happy. Next on Squawk Pod, Southeast Asia's super app, now listed on the NASDAQ, CEO of Grab, Anthony Tan. The super app, basically, if you think about it, if you want to go and get your breakfast, whether it's sending you to work, whether it's grabbing your groceries, when you go to a mall and you pay using Grab Pay, one app that covers all those needs for you and your family. That conversation is right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here 
on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin, along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Southeast Asia's grab going public today via a SPAC merger with Altimeter Growth Corporation. It's going to begin trading today on the NASDAQ under the ticker, ticker grab. It is one of the largest SPAC deals to date, and also one of the largest equity offerings by a Southeast Asian company. Joining us first right now on CNBC is Grab's co-founder and CEO, Anthony Tan. Uh, Anthony, it's great to see you. Congratulations uh, on this milestone. You have fought off a lot of competitors to get to this uh, moment and to get to the market share that you have, uh, and also lots of challenges along the way, but we're also now living with new challenges, this variant. And I, I want to understand both what this moment means for you, but how you're thinking about this moment given some of uh, the new headwinds we're starting to look at. Thanks so much again, Andrew, for having me. And I'm talking about this moment, very, very excited. It's a historical moment. Uh, it's NASDAQ's first ever opening bell ceremony held here in Southeast Asia. And why do we do it here? This is our commitment to serve the region because it's super important. We get to celebrate this moment close to home amongst the community, whether it's the driver partners you'll see on stage with me or the merchant partners with me that got us here. And we've served the region for more than nine years and we want to serve it for 90 more. And, and Anthony, explain to the audience, because we, we often talk about Grab as a super app, but you know, in the United States and in other parts of the world, uh, a super app is not something that everybody's accustomed to. Yeah, so the super app, basically, if you think about it, if you have, uh, if you want to go and get your breakfast, uh, whether it's sending you to work, whether it's grabbing your groceries, whether it's uh, when you go to a mall and you pay using GrabPay, it's one app that covers all those needs for you and your family. Um, but I think what is really uh, even di more different is that the Super app actually also works on a merchant side and on a driver side. So for example, our drivers, they are delivering you food. The same driver is also delivering uh, e-commerce to you. The same driver is sending you home. So the beauty of that is very little dead time, very efficient, and it drives the CAC lower for consumers. It drives the cost to serve down and the flywheel grows better and better. Give us a little bit of clarity, though, on how you see the future. And, and I, it's a little hard, I know, given this variant and what that may do uh, to the economy. But, I, you know, I, I'm trying to understand what the path to profitability is. I know revenue uh, was down this year, about 9% year over year. And the net losses expanded uh, now to $988 million. And that was up from $621 million. So how should investors think about that? Now, on path to profitability, look, we don't view growth and profitability as mutually exclusive, Andrew. We operate in a market with a large market opportunity and low penetration across our verticals. So if you just look at food penetration is 12% in Southeast Asia versus 21% in China. Mobility is 3% in, in this region versus 12% in China. And we've been able to build a great track record of achieving significant top line growth while taking massive steps towards profitability. So our mobility margins, for example, 12% as of Q3 2021. These are industry leading and have been relatively stable for several quarters. Our deliveries is only a three-year-old business, but already break even in a majority of our markets. And we'll apply a similar approach to cost optimization to deliveries as we have done in mobility. So we do believe we have a cost leadership advantage, as I talked about as a super app. Uh, and, and more importantly, we're offering an ecosystem of highly complementary services that address high frequency everyday needs all through one app. So we're scaling and we're growing and investing in this growth while making sure we're exercising cost discipline 
So I'm confident we have this clear path to profitability because of the super app model. And what's that timing look like to you? Well, we're just going to keep executing upon this long-term strategy. And we're seeing, as I shared, mobility margins are strong. Uh, we're seeing in our deliveries business break even just after three years in majority of our markets. Okay. Uh, Anthony, we want to uh, congratulate you. It is, it is a heck of a milestone and you've done something quite remarkable uh, that you should be quite proud of. Uh, we look forward to following your progress and uh, come on back because we'd love to, uh, to better understand what's going on in, in Southeast Asia right now, um, especially as this variant emerges, uh, how that's going to affect the economy and the business. Good luck. Thanks so much, Andrew. Appreciate it. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, the Women's Tennis Association taking a stand for player Peng Shuai, a decision to boycott tournaments in China and all the implications. What other teams don't go to the Olympics? From a business perspective, if you're a sponsor this winter, do you pull out and say, we're not doing this? Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Up track, stand Becky by. Here's Becky. Some big news from the world of sports and business this morning. The Women's Tennis Association announcing that it is suspending all tournaments in China. The WTA points to what it calls Beijing's unacceptable response to sexual assault allegations made by Chinese tennis star Ping Shua against a former top Communist Party official. Tennis great Billie Jean King putting out a statement in support saying... I applaud Steve Simon and the WTA leadership for taking a strong stand on defending human rights in China and around the world. The WTA has chosen to be on the right side of history in defending the rights of our players. This is yet another reason why women's tennis is the leader in women's sports. And, and guys, this is not a decision taken lightly. Um, this is probably going to cost at least $100 million, both to tennis and to its players, because uh, the Tennis Association was planning on doing at least maybe a dozen uh, uh, annually, a dozen of these uh, different programs. And the prize money alone was going to be about $30 million. Then you have to take into account sponsorships and other things. So this is not something that they're walking away from lightly. Yeah, pretty, pretty so draconian move for, you know, just some strict parents just trying to do the best thing for the kids. Uh, you know, like stuff we do here in the United States, too, which is the same as like the Uyghur internment. I don't get it. Joe is making reference, uh, I believe, to the conversation we had with Ray Dalio about two days ago. Oh, no, 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 no. I had nothing to do with that. I I wasn't even thinking about that. Gone viral online, given some of his comments. Strict parents. Strict parents. I wonder wonder what this does to the Olympics. He's not an expert. He just just summarized 500 years of history. So they and, and and, you know, lectured us on on everything about that. But you ask him a tough question on genocide and he's, well, I'm not an expert on that. Right, Andrew? So 
Well, so the, the question though, that I that I have that that I think this 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 decision by tennis creates is, you know, what what other teams don't go to the Olympics uh, from a business perspective? If you're a sponsor this winter, do you pull out and say we're not we're not doing this? Are Wall Street companies you, you talked about Bridgewater, but you know, BlackRock, Goldman Sachs, know. You, name, the you, whole, you name all, yeah, all of J.P. Morgan. I mean, we didn't even get into, you know, Jamie Dimon and, 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 and his tongue-twisting situation. It wasn't even that, um, that major a statement. It was tongue-in-cheek. It was, it was about it's, what we no longer can say that we, that we hope for the, the eventual decline of, of tyranny and communism. We, well, it we're brings so us to what happens. now that you can't say, I hope my bank lasts longer than the Communist Party. This is but bigger th- than sports. This, this is, is bigger than business. This is the relationship between no, the I two know, countries. I know, and what I know. And then, oh, my God, there's dollars involved. I better apologize. Right, this it's is more sad. than dollars at this point. This is going to be a, a situation where, well, just, just from the, the, the Olympics alone, if the United States were to pull out, what would that mean for the relationship between the two countries? which has already deteriorated so much. Let's hope it doesn't get worse with, I, I hope we're not talking about this in reference but this to goes Taiwan to, this goes to the question, which is if something happens but, there. But, but, but Joe, you're, but we're, we're dealing with this, this is the question. Do you pull out and what does that do to relations or do you hold your tongue because that's what China wants you to do? And so the, you know, the audience, I imagine many of our viewers would say, you know what, you should stand up, raise your hand and protest this. This is ridiculous and this is crazy, right? But the flip side is, if you do that, what's the ramification of that? And maybe you do it on principle, but then, but then you have to decide that you're going to deal with the, we the, all the, the backlash of that. Uh, I mean, we all, Andrew, we all understand what's involved. I'm not, I'm, and you, you well, I don't know it. if the whole... If, well, like you saw Ennis Canner Freedom, what he said, that it's not all about money. It's about principle and values and things like that, which we did not see demonstrated from anyone in the NBA, except for him. Well, and that, that's true, too. But then, but then I Nike also wonder, what, is that, or what does that do to the long-term relationship? Rock or any of those places. Maybe the long-term relationship know. doesn't that, matter. That was, I don't that, know. Was the, that was the one relevant point Dalio made was, look, if I'm going to start if I'm going to microanalyze every single relationship I have with countries around the world based on what they're doing, you could never do anything. You'd be stuck and you'd be, uh, you know, you'd probably be isolated in your own country. And so I understand the whole point, And I, it's very difficult, Andrew, but we shouldn't sugarcoat what's really going on at times, I think. Yeah. Joe Kernan freedom. What do you think? I guess it's already taken, right? I, I probably. Uh... Too late. And that's the podcast for today. Squawk Box is hosted every day by Joe, Becky, and Andrew. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. You can follow Squawk Pod wherever you download podcasts. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, even CNBC.com. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.